Hi, I'm Namusa. And I'm Adadana. And this is the Africana Podcast. Now I don't know why, what our words really are. It's okay. We'll make them up. We'll make them up. No one knows what we are saying. But it's right. All right, guys. Episode 10. We made it. That's a whole decade of counting. Double digits, y'all. We, I never thought Mama, we'd we make made it. it. Never thought we'd make it. Of course you did. Uh, so. That's a very long vowel. <laughs> yes. So, Adinana, I've seen you many a days, but we have not had a chance to properly catch up with a K, like what you put on your burger. So what's been going on in your life since the last episode which i think was the live show in lagos uh yeah so actually something interesting happened when i was in nigeria that i haven't told you yet but i was saving for this moment so i hope you might want to put your tea down okay because Phys- physically puts tea down i don't want anything to spill or be spat out i am known to have that happen so hopefully you know who this person is because if you don't this won't be as nearly as entertaining but those who are about to listen and hear this name will get it I matched with Don Jazzy on Tinder. I can see by your face that I should be really excited. I don't know who that is, and you I want to be excited. You know who that is, because you know who Corette Bello is. You know who Tiwa Savage is. Yes, definitely know who Tiwa Savage is. Yeah, so that's the head of Maven Records, which all of them are under. And how did you know it was like the real, like not Night so, of Prince situation? Yeah. So let's get into that. Okay. So I too. Please was, tell. Was skeptical. And I'm like, first of all, why would Don Jazzy need to be on Tinder? I mean, he's a Don. Like, he. Of the Jazzy Don. variety. Yeah. Why would he need to be on apps? But then I was like, you know what? Hey, why not also? First, I'm like, okay, well, how do you know? This is true. How do you know? So I actually, I sent it to one of my group chats. I'm like, so I see this uh, person and it might be him. They're like, oh, just see, you know, see what happens. So all the photos are of him and they seem like decent, normal photos, not like screenshots of Google image. And then his Instagram is linked to the Tinder account. Which, you know, it's like legit. Yeah. So, and you need a password to do that. So I swipe right. Just why not? Why not? Live your best life in Legos. Um... So I sent him a message, I'm like, so, I don't know if this is real or not, but if it's real, let me just say that I'm a huge fan, (laughs) and I really respect your work, and like, what you've built, because he's, like, started from the bottom, now we're here. I need some photos. Half the music you listen to from Nigeria, well, maybe not half, that might be too much, a lot of the music you listen to, he is responsible for, a lot of the hit music. So he's real, he's real. He's legit real, I just Googled him, Um, and he's 34 years old. Yes, he is. Well, his Tinder profile said that as well. Wow. I can see for you, you can see for me. She says she wants some collabo. Oh, by the way, collabo. He's on collabo. He's singing in collabo. Oh, okay. You so know we, it. You don't know him, yet, but you know it. Which is the best kind of way to know somebody. Oh, yeah, baby, make me collabo. produces and he sings like how good okay. can you be at everything singing is maybe not the strong suit but the producing and the packaging and putting okay. everyone out there is kind of what has made him a don yeah so then i also say you know if this is not real then this is a very well executed scam and you deserve my money <laughs> not my trust fund maybe not i don't have a trust fund but if i did you would not get any of it and so then he says thank you dear i appreciate 
This is not a scam. May God bless you. Prayer hand emoji. So I just want to put the world on notice. If my life trajectory becomes obscenely lit and amazing in the upcoming months, it's because Don Jazzy has asked God to bless me. And I'm convinced. Wait, are you, are you still chatting with him now? No, I'm not. Are you going to reignite that? Get it? Mm. Tinder? Reignite? Wow. Mm. Uh, no, I mean... I said, listen, I'm only in town for a few days. I invited him to like a thing that my friends and I were doing. He's like, oh, can't do it. I'm working or something. I don't know. You know, making that Naira. Yeah, making hit music. It's fine. We've all been there. Oh, no. <laughs> we didn't end up meeting. But I would, have, I would have totally been fine with meeting him. Don Jazzy, if you're listening, <laughs> you know, why not? You've already swiped right to Addy. Although he doesn't know Addy. He, doesn't, he only knows my government name. Okay. Because that's not on my Tinder profile. So Addy is for... But he'll remember you. Peeps that I know. He'll remember you. Probably. I don't know. It was a very absurd story that, of course, would happen to me. I can't believe you waited all of this time to tell me. Oh, I, I know. For the culture. That is impressive. I know. Can I also just add one thing in? Because I just Googled sure. our dear friend, Don Jazzy. Mm. Um, and some publication, I don't know the caliber of this publication, but exactly a day ago, the headline is, Fans mock girl who profess love for Don Jazzy. Sorry, what? Fans uh-huh. mock uh-huh. girl uh-huh. who professed love for Don Jazzy. Wait, why do they mock her? We will come back to that at a later point in time. I'm okay. just saying, I'm not saying you're professing your love. Oh, but I'm, we need to no. be careful because the internet is watching. <laughs> the streets are watching? Mm-hmm. No, he seemed very nice. I mean, I, obviously, I don't know how he is in person, but... He blessed me. He asked God to bless me. I mean, I... And life has been pretty good since. So I'm, I'm just saying, I think there's a correlation. I concur. What else has happened in your life? Um, as some might already be aware, I've been pretty much team East African community in my dating and exploits. Team EAC. Team EAC. That should be a t-shirt. Plus Ethiopia, because Ethiopia is not in the EAC. But I think... After my trip in Lagos, I now see the appeal of Team Ecowas. Explain. Expound. <laughs> I like where your head's at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, there was a certain amount of swag. I really, I could appreciate it. That's all. I'm just saying. I, I now see the appeal. It took me a while, but I'm here now. Tell me more about like how that swag is slightly different or what you were surprised by. Well, I wasn't surprised because Lord, everyone talks about it, but... I don't know. I think for the first time, I, I just maybe my eyes were opened. I don't know. Maybe I was surrounded. But for example, the night we went out, I felt like for the first time we were surrounded by grown adult people. <laughs> that it, dress nice and spit really good game. Exactly. Yeah. For the first time, I was, whoa, okay. Granted, most of these people were probably married, so there's also that. But We don't know, though. That we weren't as- counting wedding rings. That aside, I was just overwhelmed by, what's the word here? The energy? Mm. I don't know. It's a, it's a totally different thing. Yeah. Going out in Nairobi and going out in Lagos is just, it's a completely different animal. And we should also say that we went out on a Thursday. And it was still turned. Lit. And we got home at what, three? Uh, four? An obscene hour for a Thursday. Yeah. Anyway, that's all. Fun. Team Echo Boss. Coming for you guys. Also in a t shirt. <laughs> Hashtag Team Echo Boss. Did I, was I the only one who felt that way though? Did you feel that energy when you were there too? Yeah, yeah, no, no, of course I felt that energy, but I think I, I spent more time in West Africa. Not, never in Nigeria, but definitely in West Africa, and so I was just reminded, shall we say, <laughs> of the swag. But it's different swag, because there's swag here too, it just presents in a very different... Is there? 
Don't look so confused. We can't throw all Team EAC Listen, under I've, the bus. Listen, did I not start this boss by saying I've been Team EAC like my whole life? And then you were exposed. <laughs> and then I saw. And, and I then, was blind, and, and now I see. <laughs> Stop. Team Eagle Loss's head is no longer in the building. No, it's not that. But please tell me what EAC swag sounds slash looks like. Uh, I think there's a certain level of like, like banter that happens. But A, you have to be like very attuned to that it's happening. What does that mean? Uh, like there's a lot of s- sarcasm that happens in this like really intelligent way. You have to know that that person is being sarcastic with you. And it's effectively flirting. So how is that swag? Because like to be able to flirt with somebody at a certain intellectual level, I think there's some swag inherent in that. So you say that the swag in Nigeria is not intellectual? I would not say that. I think the swag is more kind of in your face. So you see it, you see it and experience it much more deliberately. So like everybody, 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 when we went out that night was dressed really nicely. Mm-hmm. Another example is where we were staying, the guard or Ascari, that's what you would call a guard in Kenya, opened the car door for us and he definitely didn't need to. There's a certain level of kind of like chivalry and swag that come hand in hand, regardless of your socioeconomic level in Nigeria. And I really appreciate that hustle. Let's talk about that hustle, actually. The hustle was real at Social Media Week Lagos. The amount of business cards that I got, like, what do you need? Do you need business cards? I got business cards. Like, what do you need? Do you need a banner? I got banners. I also drive taxis. And I, I'm like, whoa. Like, everybody, I mean, the amount of people that came up to me when we were just walking around, I was stunned. I mean, I know about the Nigerian hustle. It's well known. But I was, just to have it come at you all the time with all these various ventures was something else. So big ups to all of you doing things big and small in Lagos. I would actually say that's one of like the things that I like the most about both Nairobi and Lagos is that they're cities of hustlers. And it, oh, again, totally. it presents in different ways, but like people make biashara, which is biashara is business, business in Swahili. Swahili. Happen all the time. And like opportunities that you're like, oh yeah, I guess that is a good business idea, but I would not have thought about that as I was washing my hands in the bathroom. But I appreciate that, that hustle. But I guess when you're roughly a quarter of the African continent's population, you gotta figure it out, you gotta find a way. I enjoyed it. Legos was fun, I enjoyed my- I'm definitely team Legos. Second venture. And, I, and I, the first time I went to Legos, I wouldn't have said that I could live there one day. But after this trip, I feel like if I ever outgrew Nairobi, which probably will happen at some point, then I could see Legos as, a, as an option. Maybe not forever, but like a year. I think I could do a year in Legos. Yeah, I think the generator power thing would be the most challenging. Yeah. But they're trying to figure it out. Anyway, enough about Lagos. How have you been? Oh, What's going on in your world? Alas. So actually, sh- literally two days after I got back from Lagos, um, I got really, really ill. I just started to experience a whole bunch of different symptoms. So it started out with a fever and sweating. And then I had headaches and vomiting. Um, and then it was kind of a rotation of all of those things. I saw three different doctors uh, in Nairobi, and then I was put on antibiotics, which kicked the thing that they thought was the problem to begin with. So yeah, I've just kind of spent the last three weeks really kind of being really overwhelmed by how sick I felt. I've not been that sick in 10 years, and kind of the big takeaway for me was like, Helping wealth, and I know it sounds so cheesy, um, but, but when it's you're, true. Yeah, when you're sick all the time, you kind of you get to a place where you're like, but I just I promise I will do everything. Like I promise I will put my toys away. I will do the dishes. I will just I want to get out of bed. Yeah, I know there's a lot of people 
probably including our listeners who struggle with like chronic illness or chronic pain. Fortunately, that's not my situation. Um, so yeah, just kind of shout out to everybody who's been through or who's going through kind of like a rough time, whether that's your physical health or your emotional health or your mental health. I feel you. And there are other people out there going through it too. So if you have stories around how you overcome kind of challenging times, we will be doing a mental health episode coming up. But also in terms of um, kind of what I was experiencing was definitely more physical health, which I think sometimes has direct connections to your mental health. And we'd love to hear from you. So the moral of the story is I'm feeling significantly better after a trip away to an undisclosed paradise. But I was unfortunately sick during the trip, which is not so fun to be sick in a tropical paradise. But um, I've been great since then. And yeah, just kind of taking things one day at a time getting caught up with everything. But yeah, my really big takeaway is drink water, wash your hands, call the people. Wash your hands. But that, like, really, get those. No, but that, that is, a, I'm not. It's like a PSA for I'm, public health. I'm advice. not laughing as if I don't do that. I just want the record to show, FYI, I carry hand sanitizer everywhere in moments I can't find water and soap. Good. Just, just putting that out there. That is all good advice. Yeah. Breathe, so breathe. Be healthy. Wash your hands, sleep. And take a break when you need to, because sometimes life can just be too overwhelming. Ding! So on this week's episode of Africa Rising, I need to scroll back over from looking at all my uh, Don Jazzy pictures. <laughs> this is one of the things that I wanted to talk about for a long time, but we haven't really had a chance to discuss this on the podcast yet. So I'm always really jazzed when young female African, particularly like black Africans, but you know what, kind of generally across the board not just break, but demolish the glass ceiling in their own respective fields, in their own respective ways. So I know she's now received quite a bit of press. For the Africa Rising, I want to shout out Ghana's very own uh, Nancy Abu Bonsara for being accepted into Johns Hopkins School of Medicine as the first black female. And she's Ghanaian, and she's 26 years old. Neurosurgeon resident. Neurosurgeon. So for everybody out there, that's effectively brain surgery. And she's committed herself to not only um, practicing neurosurgery in the United States, but also in kind of less privileged or more kind of emerging economies. So she talks a lot about wanting to um, use her skills and her talents to go back to Ghana and make sure that people who can't afford it uh, would get access to wonderful healthcare. So we just want to shout you out. Look at you being 26 and living your best life and setting an example for all the other young girls or women who are older than you, like myself and Adidana around... I was about to like, I, what was I doing at 26? <laughs> no. Oh, 26 was the year I moved here. Okay, well, yeah. I guess that's what I was doing. But I wasn't a neurosurgery resident or being accepted as But one. it's never too late, right? Can also, how is it the first black female Girl. to be accepted into that program? Ever. Yeah. I mean, they, they've had Ben Carson, right? Wasn't he a resident yes. in that program? Which we're all trying to overlook. He's a great surgeon. I won't take that away from him. I don't know that factually. I would love to see his records, but that's a different story. Wow, really? He I'm... separated twins conjoined at the head. Just because of late, yes. he has not been the hero we remember him to be. It does not mean or does not take away his skills as a medical professional. He can be two things at the same time. But anyway, um... I don't know how, I just don't know how... I just don't know how that hasn't happened already. Regardless, I'm glad it has. Well done, Nancy. Do your thing. And call us. We'd love to have you on the show. Okay, do you want to give us a little bit of a still rising? 
Yes, so the still rising would be the current drought and starvation risk as a result that many countries are facing at the moment. So I know the weather really can't be a still rising because the weather is weather, but at the same time, I'm just frustrated that we're in the same or similar place that we've been in at various points in the past few decades. So the United Nations has said that we're facing the largest humanitarian crisis in 45 years due to the famine in Yemen, South Sudan, Somalia, and Nigeria. Three of those four countries are on the continent. And in those countries total, the four that are listed by the UN, we have 20 million people at risk of starvation. Um, and there are other countries, of course, that are having drought issues, but those are the four that the UN have identified, and that's the reason that they're asking for increased funding. And so this topic burns me personally because this was kind of the only reason why I studied what I studied in college, because of the Ethiopian famine and growing up and my youthful thinking that I could like fix the world. What did you study in college? My degree was in environmental studies, but the actual concentration was food and agriculture okay. policy. So directly linked to this. Exactly. So the only reason I did that was because I thought, I'm going to go to school and learn how to fix it, and then I'm going to fix it. You see when you're 18, the things you think you can do? Anyway, I'm just frustrated that it doesn't seem that policy-wise, with the exception of South Sudan, which is a very different, I think, and maybe Somalia, and I guess maybe Nigeria, because it's all, all these places are instabil have instability. But those are directly connected, uh, right? And they're connected. But I'm just frustrated that we are here again. And climate change, will, which is real, not an alternative fact, uh, is not going to make this any easier. It just saddens me that we're here once again. It's, no, it's a, hard, it's a hard time for many, many people. Um, so I would encourage all of our listeners to get involved, understand more about, like, the policy implications, understand more about like what your government, so whether that's like your local government or your national government, what are they doing? What are their policies on agricultural and food security, including subsidies with your own countries? And then I would also encourage people to donate to different famine relief efforts because people are dying and people do need access to basic nutrition and basic foodstuffs. Uh, so start with where you are and do what you can um, as we kind of, as humanity, figure out how we're going to not let this continue to happen generation upon generation. So now we are super lucky to have a boss lady um, episode. Addy? Da -da -da -da. Please welcome Africana audience. Whoop whoop! One of our guests hailing from Ethiopia. So I'm going to say her name and I really hope I say it right because if I don't, people will cuss me out. So Ms. Liu Tamaru is director of IARP Africa, an Africa-focused international arbitration and investment information platform. She specializes in international arbitration with a focus on the continent, and she has experience in policy and legal research and has worked on issues related to private sector development, investment law, and capacity building with different international organizations, including the World Bank and the African Union. She has taught law at Addis Ababa University and regularly works on pro bono projects. She speaks fluent Amharic, English, French, and is an alum of Addis Ababa University and Georgetown Law. So basically, she's smart in a lot of different countries and languages, so please welcome Liu. Thank you so much for having me, guys. This is the cutest intro I've ever gotten. I think we can jump right into it. So our first question for you is, what do you do and why? Um, and maybe you can talk a little bit about how you got started as well, because you're kind of in a fairly unique field for a young diaspora woman. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just as weird background, the field that I work on is called international arbitration. And international arbitration is kind of, 
uh, lingo for people who have a lot of, especially in investment and commercial disputes. It's mainly for companies that are large, like really large, I'm talking multinational large, and for countries. So when multinational companies kind of invest, especially in, in African countries, as foreign direct investment, part of the way to incentivize their investment into these African countries is to have an agreement with them stating that, well, you know, you're going to come and invest a lot of money in our country. So if anything goes wrong, i.e. if you get expropriated, if something happens to your property, you know, the government takes away your land or whatnot, you have the right to sue the government directly. Um, so that's kind of investment arbitration. Yeah. So, and then the other one, commercial arbitration is mainly for, you know, pretty much any company suing any other company for breach of any kind of contract uh, related to the work. So I kind of got into this field because I learned about it in, in when I was in school at Georgetown. And I found it to be a very fascinating system because it's pretty much an out of court system, settlement and disputes. Right. And I wasn't that big of a fan of courts. And so I found the system to kind of be pretty great and the fact that it exists. Now, the more I got to learn about how all of this works, especially as it relates to the African continent, the more I realized very few people have done a lot of research or even collaborated or segregated data related to the African continent with regards to arbitration, any form of arbitration. And so each time I kind of go to start working at a firm, you know, the question would be, you know, we'd all be in a meeting room and everybody would sit down and say, okay, so Leo, what's, what's the investment law and arbitration rules of Morocco? And, you know, I'm like sitting across the room and I'm like, mm, I don't really know because I'm Ethiopian. I know Ethiopian law, like maybe a bit of Kenyan law, but Morocco is really stretching it, you know? So and sounds specific. You know, all of these law firms that I, <laughs> yeah. So in all of these law firms that I ended up working at, I was quote unquote de facto Africa expert. I mean, as ridiculous as that was, it taught me something is that there's nobody that really knows specifically has like knowledge of the different African countries. Everybody knows about two, three countries and everything else is kind of like left, you know, like you figure it out. So I was like, all right, I think this is kind of a great niche to provide information on. So that's kind of why I set up Arab Africa, which is pretty much that one space where if you're looking for arbitration news related to the African continent, anything, laws, cases, data, you can find it on there. And this is a little bit away from the context, but more about um, kind of your experiences and realities of doing uh, the work that you do. Um, my question is, how does or does race and gender play out in your work? And if so, how? I mean, race and gender definitely plays out of my work. Uh, absolutely. I mean, let me just give you a small information. So there are a bunch of international arbitration centers around the world. Um, there are a few that have um, started in the African continent since, since the 1970s. So the oldest arbitration center, technically, like the formal one that we have, is one in Cairo. And then there's one in Kigali and Lagos and Johannesburg. You know, these are the ones that are trying to attract international arbitration work. There is a huge center under the World Bank that's based out of D.C., and that center is called the International Center for Settlement of Investment Disputes. Okay. And that center specifically focuses between on disputes between countries and investors. So in that particular center, so far, you know, they've had approximately over 500 and something cases. 
And out of the 500 and so cases, 120 something are related to the African continent. And out of the 120 cases that are related to the, that's like roughly 20%, right? Mm -hmm. So out of the 120 cases that are related to the continent, um, the way the system works is for each case, three arbitrators have to be appointed to view the case and make a final decision. Now, out of all of the arbitrators that have been appointed to review the African cases, less than 10% are from the African continent. So it, it's, a, it's essentially a very interesting system where you have more than 50% are European and American. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and, and even within that paradigm, there's very few women <laughs> and there are very few women of color that are even recognizing this field, right? So race and gender certainly play a huge role. Um, and this is just a small example. One of the major issues of arbitration is that everything is so secretive and, part, and that's kind of why it attracts companies. So companies have the right and the possibility to resolve a dispute that they're facing in a certain country in a completely secretive manner. You cannot discuss the matter, you cannot find the award, which is the final award, the decision that comes out of that case, until one day somebody wants to enforce this award, i.e., you know, let's say Ethiopian government has an award, you know, in favor of it against a French investor. So the only way, the only time you ever find out such a case actually happened is when the Ethiopian government goes and tries to enforce this award in a country where the French investor has money. Okay. So mm. at that point, it becomes public. But until then, it's completely secretive. Mm. So it's very hard to kind of come up with specific data, but there is a clear, clear uh, role of race and gender in, in the arbitration world. Well, good on you for being an example of something and, yeah, a Another possibility model. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it is, you know, it is quite challenging. And, 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 and let me tell you just one thing that I find, and this is kind of my hate and love relationship with arbitration. So what arbitration in essence does is, so you have a dispute, you have an investment in, let's say, Kenya, right? And you came, your firm called, let's say, Y country, right? Whatever Y country is, right? You're you're from Y and you invested and suddenly, you know, something happens where the government tells you actually you now have to pay me um, more taxes because of new environment regulations. And at that point, you actually have the right to sue the Kenyan government because Kenya's government's change of regulations could potentially be against the agreement that you had or your country had with Kenya before you came and invested in the country. So you can actually claim that the added taxation in Polio is an expropriation of your profit, which is kind of mind-blowing. But then yeah. when you take it a, a step higher is you can say, well, you know, we've made an agreement and all disputes between Kenya and Y country has to go to Paris, right? Which means then you have to hire lawyers that can afford to go to Paris and represent you in Paris. And, and these lawyers French. that can afford to go to Paris and represent you in Paris are probably going to, you know, nominate you know, arbitrators that are from Paris or around Paris or can themselves also go to Paris. Mm -hmm. And you would have lawyers 
um, arbitrators and the seat of your arbitration outside of the African continent. So which in essence is, although despite the fact that everything is physically happening in, in Africa, everything that's related to that dispute is being resolved outside of Africa by non-Africans. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge imbalance of power. And that is why there's a huge outcry now by a lot of African countries saying that investment arbitration is actually against developing states. Because mm -hmm. when you are in a situation where the people who are judging your case don't have the contextual understanding of what it is to be a developing country yeah. and what the priorities and the issues that you face as a developing country is, then they can't relate to the issues that you're presenting before them. It's really a very big imbalance of power. So is there a case that comes to mind that either you've worked on um, or otherwise find kind of interesting that you want to share with the audience? There's a bunch of cases. I mean, um, I can tell you one particular case that recently happened that related to Libya, right? Mm. So what happened is an investor from Kuwait, I believe, comes into Libya and says, I want to build a hotel. Libyan government, this is pre-war, okay? And Libyan government says, yeah, sure. We'll give you a great, you know, uh, piece of land by the coastline. So guy says, fantastic. He gets the land. He pays $20 million, gets huge chunk of land. And then war breaks out. And the Libyan government says, listen, the location that we've given you is very strategic for the war. Therefore, we will give you another same amount of land, but in another place that's less strategic for the war. The guy says, no, this is my land. You can't take my land away from me. They say, but this is absolutely necessary, and we are offering to give you a replacement land. And the guy says, no. So, and then they take, the government still takes the land because it was a strategic piece of land and, you know, they're still offering him a replacement, but he goes and sues the government because he's protected under the bilateral investment treaties, which is the agreement between these two countries to attract investors and foreign direct investment. So he sues them and the final decision of the arbitration was that the Libyan government will have to pay him. Um, not only the $20 million that he's already paid for the land, but they calculated the amount, the number of hotel rooms he would have had, oh God. <laughs> the amount of profit he was expecting to have wow. for the amount of the lease that they had given to him, which was 90 years. So in all, the final award came down to $1 billion. That's a lot of dollars. And it, it reminds me of kind of like if you hit a goat or a camel when you're driving in rural Africa, particularly East Africa, uh, where they'll calculate not just the death of the animal, but its potential offspring as well. But it's not, it's exactly. not coming up to a billion dollars. Not quite a billion. Same thing. Not quite a billion. But yes, that's actually a current case that's hanging over the head of the Libyan government at this point. And, you know, what you do once you get these decisions is you take them and you try and get them enforced in places where governments have assets and government have assets around the world. And so the French courts have agreed to enforce this award. So, you know, it can be enforced against the Libyan government at any point on any of the assets, commercial assets they have in France. So, Liu, with our the incredible guests that we have on our show, we love to have um, what we still have yet to come up with a name for, but effectively it's an either-or segment. Um, so we encourage our listeners to write in and give us um, some options on some names for either-or. But what we'll do, if you're game for it, Liu, is we will 
um, just kind of give you a series of a few rapid fire questions um, and let the listeners get to know a little bit more about you personally. Sure. So, well done or rare? Rare. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> Still or sparkling? Sparkling. No sex for a year or being ashy for a year? Being ashy for a year? <laughs> I heard that laugh in the background. Blue Ivy or Northwest? Neither. Uh, okay, then that's totally okay. If you're gonna say neither, you have to give a little little bit of an explanation as to why. I, I you know, I know so little about these little children. So it's kind of like, like more like my nieces and yeah, Maya or Zema. That sounds good to me. I have no clue who these people are. Okay, you can prioritize your nieces. That's totally fair. <laughs> Um, and then the, the final either-or question is, we had to, because you're Ethiopian. Uh, Kitfo or Shiro? Oh, uh, Kitfo. <laughs> that, that's an easy one. My next question. Uh, uh, building IR, I imagine, wasn't so easy. And since there was no pre- precedence for it, I imagine even more difficult than, than the usual. So how do you deal with with fear and with, with with struggle if you will and that could be fear of failure or or fear of success as the case may be you know lately like a lot of times you, people tell you about fear of failure so one of your biggest thing for for somebody to just kind of drop whatever job it is that you have and then get into this entrepreneur world or even try your own thing or just freelance world is the fear of screwing up you're like, all right, what if I don't make enough money to pay rent? Or what if I have to move back into my parents' house? And, you know what I mean, I'm not going to be able to go to all the nice restaurants I like to go to or take all the nice vacations I usually do. Or even not have any money anymore, right? Fall flat on my butt and, oops, okay, <laughs> what happens, you know? So that's kind of the fear that I feel like everybody talks about. But there's, there's, there's that fear. That fear already exists. I have that. I, there's constantly saying, oh, my God, I can't believe this is how my entrepreneurial journey is going to end. You know, you get certain emails and you're like, it's over for me. Like, there's that's it. Um, but the other fear that I've kind of come across much more lately is the fear to succeed. And my fear of succeeding comes from the fact that, okay, all right, this is what I want to do. And I've done it. And then now what? Like, where do I go from here? Do I have a a goal goal number two? Like, you know, you make this plan thinking you can't build it or it's not been done before or it's new or it's going to be my thing. I'm going to be doing it differently. But the moment you start having it and it starts materializing and and it's there, your question then becomes, wow, okay, it's there. So wait, what do I do again? What's, What's next? Where do I take it from here? Is this something I can do? So that's kind of been like something that's played in my mind consistently. And I really thought I was the only one until I started talking to two people that just started their own business and their own everything. And, you know, they were saying, yeah, the same fear where it's like, yeah, it's successful. That's something that's usually great, but it kind of creates a fear of what are the challenges that come with the success and can I actually manage? What is your definition of success? Well, for, for me, success is like depends, like, right? So it's, there's, 
different parts of that, different projects and different things that you're doing, and it's their success in achieving those different things. And so for me, for this particular platform is having IR become the platform for arbitration related to the African continent and being able to infuse and promote African practitioners to the world and amongst each other through this platform. So this is the primary thing. So we influence not just people who are in arbitration, but we also start influencing policy. So my question is, oh my God, what do I do after this? <laughs> do I have to come up with another IR? Like do I have to come up with another baby, like as an like another project? Where do I go from here personally, like in terms of growth wise, like where is this growth supposed to be? So that's kind of like my personal challenge and question um, each time I think about success. So on that note, um, we wrap up every interview with how do the people find you and your work on the Internet, wherever, how can people find you? So we're on, um, it's IARBAfrica.com. Um, to visit the website, but then we're also on Twitter, so they can follow the Twitter account of uh, IARB Africa, which is at IARB Africa, or they can follow me personally, which is at Anchihoye, uh, which is A-N-C-H-I-H-O-Y-E. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Leo. It's always a pleasure chatting with you, and it's so wonderful to have you finally on the podcast and talking about international arbitration. Thank you so much, guys. This was, this is really like a big pleasure. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And finally, as we always do, we end each episode with our proverb of the week. Week, 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 week. Week, 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 week. You can make a good beat on that. It's my turn this week to do the Africana proverb of the week. And hey, actually, post-Nigeria, I got some really good proverbs. I think when I was really ill, I was like... <laughs> Let me look at, like, good words of wisdom. Um, And this one was actually my favorite because it's short and sweet and doesn't really require any intro or outro. So these are my words to live by for the next few weeks. Ready for it? All right. Chase your stars, fool. Life is short. Boom. Mic drops. mic. That's it. Raindrop. Drop top. Crop top. Chase your stars, fool. Life is short. Done. That was a little rap we just did. That's episode 10. What? Double digits. Here we go. Somebody should give us a cake. <laughs> uh, so... I think you get diamonds if you're married. Is that what it is for 10 years? I don't remember, but you get something. We should get a cake in the shape of a diamond. Or Don Jazzy to write you back. One of the two. I'll or take. a diamond from Don Jazzy. <laughs> that would be the best. Uh, so if you want to find us on social media, if you don't know, now you know. It's at Africana, A-F-R-A-C-A-N-A-H. Uh, that's on Twitter and on Instagram. And then on Facebook, we're at, at Africana Podcast. Same spelling of Africana. And as always, please send your comments, questions, ideas, both ideas for guests, concerns, disagreements, what have you, uh, to Ask Africana. That is A-S-K-A-F-R-A-C-A-N-A-H at gmail.com. We always love hearing from you, so don't be a stranger. Bye. Bye, guys.